I am here with Jack Barrett, the CEO and founder of WeGo Health. How are you? I'm great, Unity. Good so to be we here. have known each other forever, it seems like, back yes. when you were running Yahoo Health. Right. Um, you've been an entrepreneur for many years now, uh, running WeGo Health. Um, I thought we'd start with your vision for WeGo Health and, and how you sort of made that transition to sure. being an entrepreneur, because I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, when I was running Yahoo Health, you know, we were the largest website in the world at Yahoo in those days, right? 150 million US users alone running around all kinds of properties from finance to sports. But Yahoo Health at the time when I joined was number eight behind WebMD, right? The big the big gorilla was WebMD. And our my charge was catch WebMD. So I'm proud to say we caught WebMD. We were number two behind WebMD when I left there about five years, six years later. Uh, but the interesting part of Yahoo was... And that was real mass media. That, that was mass media. That was you know that was advertising driven. We, we, we really did a lot of the early days of behavioral advertising targeting. But and, and that work and things like behavioral targeting of advertising led me to find what's now the core of WeGo Health and our mission, which is this small group of, of hyper-powerful patient influencers, as we call them now, or patient leaders, who were doing all the work on Yahoo Groups. There were thousands of organically built you know, Yahoo Groups around health topics that no one had set up. No and this was the beginning that. of user-generated content. Right. We were, I was literally giving talks where it was like, UGC means user-generated content, and explaining what it meant. Social, social media, media. Is <laughs> before Facebook. That's right. right. Much way before Facebook, and, and social media was already alive and well. No one just knew how to package it and call it something different. So our overall network now is 125,000-plus patient leaders. So at 10 years of existence, we found a lot of people who, in over 150 different conditions and topics, are the, are the, the key leaders. But if you think of a Venn diagram of those patient leaders who are very powerful advocates and influencers, it's also a, a group of them, maybe even as many as 20 or 30,000, who are business professionals who have been, some, have been impacted by an illness, and they want to go to work helping healthcare now. So what we've done is, is created a network, as we call WeGo Health Experts, to identify and vet those patient leaders who are also business professionals ready to become freelance consultants, so part of the liquid workforce, part of the gig economy, make them easily available to folks like the startup health portfolio companies who can say, I could have a hard time finding these people today, but through the WeGo Health Experts Network, I can, I can find them, vet them, hire them and pay them without friction. You focus very early on um, on your business model. You, you right. mentioned this briefly, but you built a sustainable right. growth business. Right. Um, a lot of companies today seem like they're, they're building their solution but not paying attention to their business model. Right. Um, was that from day one that you were focused on building a sustainable business, or how did you how did you right. get going initially? Well, I mean, there were some there were some harsh realities of the market at the time when we were we were venture funded in two thousand seven by General Catalyst. You know, I guys those guys are in the very thin book of good guy VCs, um, and but two thousand seven wasn't the greatest year to get funded because then two thousand eight happened, right? And everyone said you're you're doing great, you're hitting all your goals, but you're too small. We gotta focus on instant returns from our big investments, our LPs are after us. So, you know, we were able to negotiate um, with General Catalyst to you know to go on our own and support ourselves with revenue. So we were kind of, we were forced to go out and, and only eat what we killed. And and by that we we realized that look, there's a lot of foundations and nonprofits that we want to support, not compete with. So we really did set out to say it's it's our job to be sure there's a there is a business model here so we can scale and grow this and we know it's gonna be self-sustaining. Over the past ten years, what have, what are some of your observations for the evolution and, and how things have changed, um, both from the entrepreneur's perspective, but also for patients. You and I were just talking before we started filming about 
the ability to now be a truly virtual company effortlessly. Um, when, when we were founded 10 years ago, we had to have a headquarters and office space and all that administrative overhead. That's gone now. We're, we're, a, we're a fully virtual company and incredibly effective as such, which has been enabled by technology that we, we thought would come along, but it took a while to come. And now we, as entrepreneurs, can use it. But I think that's the tip of the iceberg compared to the on-demand economy, where we can tap into any kind of consulting professional we need to whenever we need to on demand as opposed to having to hire in high, you know, high level expertise in every category. For patients, you know, so much has changed in 10 years. It's, it's amazing when, as you said, we were defining UGC and social media, then we were identifying and telling influencers, hey, you're influential. They're saying, oh, thanks, that's nice. But really, we're saying, well, yeah, look at how you stack up against the rest of the universe. And, and this is how we can use this for more good and how we can help you. So just letting people know there was such a thing as influence was 10 years ago. Fast forward, you know, and one of our influencers, Crystal Apriliano, who is a diabetes influencer, um, gave a talk recently that I was part of and moderating. And she said, you know, it used to be that I was alone in a rock saying, is anyone out there with diabetes that I can talk to? I'm, I'm lonely, I'm freaking out. I feel alone with my insulin pump. What do I do? And I started building a group just to, just to find some friends and put them in one place. She says, fast forward, my job, about 80% of my day is, is whacking the weirdos out of the community and, and differentiating myself from people who are just creating noise, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the market's gone from no one knows how to use social media to too many people are there. And they're filtering. They're filtering and curating and, and becoming those trusted voices that help patients understand you know, this is a worthwhile perspective that's supported by medical science. This is one that's, this is, you know, aloe will not cure your cancer, so get over that. And that, that role is dramatically different, and I think points up the need to continue to support the people who are the organic, motivated leaders, because they've got a lot of work to do to help everyone know what's right. How is this making an impact on the information that's out there for patients? And, and how can patient communities really be a part of mm -hmm of the solution here. Empathy plus information is what we found is what we call the, the patient leader voice, right? It's that I, I can't just say you're an idiot because you don't know medical science. I say, look, I, I get it. I know what you're striving for. You may even want to think about talking to these three people who have also been through this. And But here's, here's reliable information you can rely on. So the curation being key to that. What are you most excited about? Where do you see the future of health going as a result of technology, innovation, um, patient communities. I am unreasonably excited about digital health as a, as a major category, which I know gets a lot of knocks right now for being a bubble, right? Because there's, there's a lot of investment that's gone into digital health. You know that more than anyone I'll talk to all week probably. But I think the opportunity for technology to free us from so much of the, of the hairball that is the healthcare system is, is really unrealized. But my optimism isn't really that the technology is going to get better and better because I know that's going to happen. I know that that's, that's moving very, very quickly, and I see the capital flowing there. What I'm excited about and is the availability, as I said, is that of that human capital, right? It, it's, the, it's that on-demand access. For us, it means you know, a company that's doing a startup in, you know, in MS that's trying to create an app that really understands the full patient experience used to try to do user testing with with MS patients and bring them in once in a while, but it was hard, it cost a lot of money, it was hard to even find those people. Even if you're working within a hospital, you couldn't find the right people to get good feedback. We're saying, look, if we can make that frictionless and connect you to the human capital as fast as you can get connected to offshore developers or, or building block kind of technologies, then we can accelerate the adoption of those technologies, not just the creation of them. And for me, 
the human, the human element might be more important than your tech roadmap now. And that, that is just coming together with the technology. That's going to be deficient, right? That's the, that's the, the pop that I think is going to happen in the next 10 years. You'll see this company was, was founded by patient experts with, along with technologists, and it was adopted you know, at mass scale versus you know, thousands of things that are reaching a few people. Advice to other entrepreneurs just getting started in the health or healthcare sector? Look at the, the adoption as, as important as the technology. Mm. If, if, if your technology will be touched by a consumer, that needs to be right on your roadmap right next to the tech build. If the tech is beautiful and it comes out and then you start thinking about adoption technology, it's too late. If, if, if you involve and now it's easy and there's low friction to do it with platforms like experts to patients from the beginning and collaborate with them, not just as test subjects, but as peers, you know, hire them as project managers. I mean, we have a guy like Mike Middleman, who's an MBA patient expert who is, who is uh, certified by IDEO as a design professional, also a three-time transplant uh, patient. So if he's on your team, you're going to get passion and expertise to drive your adoption strategy from the beginning, but also you can hold them accountable as a business professional. So look for those people, go the extra mile to hire them into your team early, early, you pay them what they deserve to be paid, treat them as peers, and, and you'll see yourself with an adoption that matches the technology that's so beautiful. Last question. What do you do to stay healthy? I know you, <laughs> two-part question, and I know you love red wine, so any recommendations? <laughs> yeah. We had, a, we had a great Spencer cab last night at uh, at Bar American downtown, so that was, which is, you know, I thought it was just another, you know, overpriced California cab. It was nice and it was reasonable. So that's my that's my wine recommendation okay. for today. We were we were all shocked by how good it was. Eighty bucks a bottle, which is not bad for a Manhattan restaurant. Um, but um, sorry, what was the other question? You left me on what wine. Do you, what do you do to stay healthy <laughs> besides drink red wine? Well, lot, lots of red wine. I, to me, it's a it's interesting. It, it's behavior, right? We, we, t- we talk about population health and what should behavior change. It's the, it's the habit. I'm reading the book, you know, the, the, the power of habit right now, but in it, making exercise a daily habit, I, I, consistency is more important, I think, than the, than, you know, I'm, I'm crossfitting the hell out of it once a week. Well, you're going to hurt yourself and you're not going to stick with it, but to do something every single day. This morning I did a workout that New York Times had. It's a nine minute strength workout. Oh. Did it in my hotel room. Do it, do it twice. 20 minutes later, I'm sweating. I'm, you know, everything is moving. My, my neuromuscular system is kind of activated. So yeah, it wasn't a peak workout, but I did it and I feel much better now as a result. So stick with it. Do something. So nine every minutes day. every day, you're good. Nine yeah. minutes. I, I recommend the nine minute workout. All right. Well, thank you, Jack. Uh, great, great to see you. Man. See you.